You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Welcome again to the Sound of Sanity. Hope everybody had a happy 4th of July. I know I did. And I'm pleased as punch that we have Benjamin J. Solzer joining us today. Hey, Benjamin J. Solzer. Hey, Nathan. We had a little fun with your doppelganger. Your doppelganger last your week. evil twin, more yeah. like. He's interesting, all he's right. Very, he's very, um, the worst. Causes a lot of trouble for yeah, me, Yeah, he's honestly. a troublemaker. <laughs> Jake is not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jay, we got, of course, Benjamin Jay. He's our beloved engineer over there. We've got the pastor who's a master of all that his hand undertakes, Jacob Menzel. How you doing, Jake? I'm so relieved to have Benjamin Jay back with us. It's just like a, my blood pressure is much lower. Yeah, this, is, this is good for your health. <laughs> hey, folks, welcome to the show. I'm so happy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what on earth? Heavens to Betsy. <laughs> oh, my stars. Great Caesar's ghost. Great Scott. <laughs> Great Scott. <laughs> I did it. I own it. It was me. You set off the devil's advocacy alarm, Jake? That's right. I did it. Well, Ben, tell us what the devil's advocacy alarm is. It's not, I don't know. This, uh, Jake well, is, this is the second time Jake has set it off this early in the show. Yeah, yeah. The devil's advocacy alarm, the DAA, is the alarm that goes off to tell us someone is going to play the devil's advocate here and disagree with something we say and argue, and but we haven't said or argued anything yet, except, nope. hello, we're here. Yeah, <laughs> we, so, we don't like Benjamin Q. Souls, or are you going right, to argue right. that? Boy. No, 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 here's what I want to do. I want to take issue with an episode we did a couple weeks ago. Just a very small part of it. What I want to do is I want to come and deal with the question of using uh, the phrase gay Christian, because I'm not convinced that that's such a bad thing after all. So just to be clear, folks, Jake is playing the devil's advocate here. Right. He's advocating for a point of view different than the one that sanity would generally be known to take. So you are not comfortable with the term gay Christian. I am very comfortable with the term gay Christian. And I'm wondering why we can't be okay with the term gay Christian after all. And this comes from actually from some of our listeners who have asked about this and about why we're opposed to the phrase gay Christian. And so I'm taking up the position that it's actually a good thing. Just just to recap, we did a, an episode about the Revoice Conference, which when this is released, the Revoice Conference is either... It's still coming up. Still it's coming like up. two weeks away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a conference in St. Louis. Go to their website now. It says, come belong in a new conversation. I think that might be their new tagline this this conference is supporting, encouraging, and empowering gay, lesbian, same-sex attracted, and other LGBT Christians so they can flourish while observing the historic Christian doctrine of marriage and sexuality. We did a whole episode talking about how we did not think that that conference was a good idea. In fact, we thought there was some very wicked stuff being uh, promoted at said conference. But you're not taking issue specifically with any of that or with any of the main points we made, it doesn't sound like. You're taking issue with something that was somewhat incidental to what we were talking about. Well, it wasn't so much incidental because we did argue, uh, replace gay Christian with pedophilic Christian, with bestiality or with adulterous Christian, etc. And we just did a reductio ad absurdum mm -hmm. sort of argument with that. And what I want to do is come at that and say, that's actually dishonest. Gay Christian can actually be a very helpful, God-honoring label. That's the case I'm going to make today. Okay, fair enough. I'm interested to hear this devil. I'm also interested, though, before, before we even go there, anytime issues of sexuality come up, I think the, the place that I like to go 
is to our good friends in Sanityville, the He-Manologians. You take your hacksaw and you make this round pizza square. I'm just saying, it's about time the Avengers start to use biological warfare. At least Napoleon had a cool horse. <laughs> the secret ingredient was lightning. Guys, when I when I call you suckers, what I mean is, you know, you're like the new growth of the podcasting industry. Son, I am America. I could eat some ants right now and also save Jake's life. Hey, idiots. Welcome to He-Manologians. It's the manly show for biblical men who believe in the Bible and manliness. Right over there, BJ. Stands for Booyah. Right over there, CJ. Stands for Chronically Jacked. And I I am AJ. Today, we're talking about homosexuality. More like a can't get a gality. More like homotextuality. More like uh, homo, homo, homo dextuality. <laughs> More like homosexuality. <laughs> Booyah. What's wrong with these homosexual guys? They're not good at attracting women. They should spend more time watching their arm muscles ripple in one of those wall-sized mirrors at their local gym. Yeah, but just so long as they're doing it in front of the treadmills where all the hot chicks are, right? <laughs> and you say, enjoying the show, ladies? And she says, get lost, loser. <laughs> she likes me. Yeah, and then you're always like, welcome to the gun show, baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Whoa. you want to know who's most impressed by my gun show? My smoking hot wife. <laughs> well, <laughs> you do have the second best gun show in the, uh, the galaxy. Thanks, bro. That's very kind. Uh, no, actually, tied for second. Gun show number one is the reason I work out in front of that wall-sized mirror every day. My wife, she thinks I'm so hot that I have to sleep on the couch. You guys, you guys get that? Where maybe like she's afraid the bedroom's gonna, the bed's gonna catch fire or something. Uh, maybe it's a cell <laughs> yeah, bed. Maybe it's a cell. It's bed. totally a marriage bed. The only cell bed is your face. Oh. If you don't shut up, I'm gonna punch it. <laughs> Burn. That would be sweet if he punched you in the face. Oh man. But my wife, like when I marry her, she'll like want to spend all our time in the bedroom. That's where she can watch me on my pull-up bar. Idiot, that's not how marriage works. She'll be in the kitchen. Ha, booyah. <laughs> My wife, when I marry her, we're going to watch our favorite TV shows together. Are, are you, like, paralyzed from the neck up? Back on track. Back on track. Back to Ho- homosexuals. Homosexuals are, like, the gayest. <laughs> Good thing CJ has a smoking hot wife. Me and BJ, like, we could totally be married. Like, all we'd have to do is pick, like, from all the super hot potential women that might want to b- become our wives because they'd be like super attracted to us or whatever. I I want a woman who will hold me when I cry. Dude, why would you be crying? It could be for one of two reasons. Either I just watched Keanu Reeves' partner get killed by a bomb in speed, or I failed to set a personal record at the gym. Dude, the only personal record you need is the speed soundtrack. <laughs> I just want to reiterate that I have a smoking hot wife. I just want to reiterate I'm smoking a pipe. You're both iterates. Booyah! Are you just like saying your name over and over again? Or uh, yes. Booyah! 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 <laughs> 
And we're back. Thank you for that edifying segment, boys. Always good to check in with the Hemanologians. Jake, you are playing the devil today. Make your case, sir. Okay, so here's the thing. What is so bad about a Christian with particular sins and temptations and vulnerabilities identifying publicly those sins and temptations and vulnerabilities? And this is sort of dovetailing on an article done last October by Rod Dreher, where he talks about or references somebody who talks about alcoholics. So let's take that tack for a minute. We don't have a problem when a Christian who has very particular vulnerabilities and temptations to alcohol identifies as an alcoholic. We don't say that it is a uh, such are some of you sort of thing. We don't say that he is glorying in his alcoholism. What we, we say is that here's a guy who knows that he has particular temptations, knows that he has particular weaknesses. Out of his humility and out of his love for Jesus, wants other people to know that and be aware of that and is saying, I have a problem here. I have a problem here. There's something about me that's weak and vulnerable and prone to sin and temptation. And I I want my Christian brothers and sisters to know that about me so that I can be helped and so that they can know how to. And we, as pastors, as Christian brothers and sisters, find that very helpful. And we don't go around saying, oh no, alcoholism isn't, isn't a biblical term. You should be called a drunkard. You should say, I'm a drunkard. What we do is we acknowledge that there is a particular set of weaknesses and temptations and vulnerabilities that certain people have. It's helpful to identify that. It's helpful for their friends to know that. And so we just accept it. And yeah, we turn around and we talk in biblical terms about the sinful. This isn't just the clinical thing, but then we also accept the term alcoholic. Same thing for the language of addiction in general. It can be very helpful and useful. And so when a Christian who has a particular set of temptations and vulnerabilities tries to acknowledge those publicly, and those happen to be same-sex attraction, why can't he use the language of gay? to acknowledge to his brothers and sisters that he has a particular set of temptations. He has a particular set of vulnerabilities, and he wants them to know that. And he wants them to help him with those things. Why is that such a bad thing? The obvious response to you, Mr. Devil, would be that the whole world isn't in an orgy of saying that alcoholism is good. If you say, I had an alcoholic dad, everybody knows that's a bad thing. Everybody knows that meant pain, that meant sin, that meant betrayal, that meant nothing good. Um, It wasn't neutral either. No. A psychologist with 4,000 degrees might say, well, it's strictly a clinical term, but basically we all know an alcoholic is not something that you want to be, not something that you would ever wish on, on anyone. We know it's a bad thing. Gay, on the other hand, our culture at large is celebrating. Yeah, celebrating. but the... But, but the uh, so to even use the word is to adopt some of the culture's not neutral The improper use sexuality. of a term does not invalidate its proper use. And the fact is people identify uh, same-sex attraction. That's just gay. That's what it is. And yeah, maybe we need to work to bring a certain level of public sense of shame back to being gay. But the fact is people are that and they're moving from that and being sensitive to them and being helpful. I mean, we don't tell an alcoholic who comes into your church says, I'm an alcoholic. I want to love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. We don't attack him immediately for not using the term drunkard. That's not our first point of contact with him is to say, no, 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 no. Don't say that you're an alcoholic. Say that you're a drunkard or no, 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 no. Don't say that you're an alcoholic. Say that you are especially tempted by alcoholic beverages. Don't use the false label. What we say to them is, okay, that I understand where you're coming from. We give space and then 
maybe over time we teach them to use biblical language and identifying and naming their sins. Why would we do something different with somebody who identifies as being gay, who comes in and says, these are my temptations, I'm gay and I want to love Jesus and follow Jesus and honor God's word and I know that that means I can't like do gay things, but I'm gay, these are my temptations. Like, why do we have to say, no, 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 no. Don't ever say the word gay, don't identify your temptations as being gay. Use same-sex attracted or what? Sodomite? What do you want them to do? What, why do we have to meet them up front at the point of language instead of at the place of their temptation and vulnerability like we would with anybody else who comes and says, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic, I'm addicted to porn, I'm whatever. You're doing it again, devil. You're setting up a false dichotomy where the only two choices are we can, now you're implying this, the only two choices are we have to call them sodomites and we have to rub it in their noses and we have to do the meanest. I gave you the opportunity of same-sex attracted, which is just a complicated, weird, convoluted Christian way of avoiding saying so. So our only choices are to be confusing, to be outright hostile, or to... Accept this label. Accept this label. And I don't think those are the only options. And going back to... Okay, what's your fourth option? (laughs) Go ahead, lay it on me. I don't believe you have one. Well, of course we do. Tell them what it is, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is to say... uh, Goodness. I still don't buy your basic your your basic premise of your 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 analogy of alcoholic and if someone came into our community and said I'm an alcoholic we'd we'd say okay we're going to help you if someone came in and said I'm a happy tippler I'm a generous spirited happy you know, I don't know what it would be sure. inebriate then we'd say no dude you're an alcoholic <laughs> right and so if someone comes in and says I'm gay and we know that the I'm a gay Christian we know that the baggage for that is by and large something shameful something shameful but but by and large it's something that our culture uses the term to negate the shame we're gonna try and at least feel that person out to see what they mean by that and to see okay yep fine fine i'm okay with that what i am not okay with is categorically condemning every usage of the word gay so what you just admitted is that if somebody comes into your church and says i'm a gay christian you're gonna feel out okay does he mean like I have this particular set of temptations and there's a certain sense of humility and shame about him or I'm a gay Christian and that's a good thing and I'm that's how I identify and that's cool and there's no sense of shame and it's all pride. Well, that's all I want to make space for is people to use that term gay Christian without being pounced on because uh, it can be helpful and it can be a mark of of humility. No, 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 no one. See, you, you just put two things together that don't go together. And one is, one is saying, hey, I'm gay, I need help. Okay, I could see, you know, someone coming up to a pastor and saying that, and that's good for the pastor to know, just like you would come up to the pastor and say, I'm an alcoholic, I need help. But you don't, you don't create space for yourself to have a whole identity group in the church where you publicly parade the fact that you're an alcoholic or that you're gay. And you also, the other thing you did is you said, gay Christian. Like, I'm a gay, no one, I've never heard anyone say, hey, I'm an alcoholic Christian. That's my identity as a Christian. That's because we know that when we're thinking of each other in Christ, we don't identify ourselves by our sins. Let's have a conference about how we're all, I mean, I'm doing it again. This is what we did all last episode. Let's have a conference where we're all celebrating the fact that we're drunken Christians and we're talking about drunken Christian culture. And and what part of drunken Christian culture will we carry into the New Jerusalem with us? Okay, well, I'm not going to say that the specifics of the Revoice Conference are anything to be emulated. I am just saying that can't we have some space for Christians to identify themselves by their temptation? Isn't that a humble thing to do? 
uh, yeah, by their I, vulnerabilities. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so because in, in the space is like you come up to your pastor and you say, this is my sin and I want to repent of it. But the space is not, I am a rage Christian and I want a rage Christian conference so that all the rage Christians can Pull, get stop together. Stop putting conferences. That's not what we're talking about. I don't want conferences. But I don't want rage conferences. Space. I don't want... I don't want pigging out dot org conferences. I don't Good. want all I want. That's neither. Nope. <laughs> all I want is for us to back off of the phrase gay Christian as being intrinsically bad. It can it doesn't have to be. It can be something that is useful and helpful and humble. Well, I, I'm a, I'm a murderous Christian. I'm a covenant. I'm just realizing that there are a lot of labels I could apply to myself by that logic that I haven't thought of doing before that might make life a little bit easier for me, I think. I mean, I, I'm an authority-despising Christian. We'll need a shorter way of saying that, obviously. But that's shorthand for a lot of stuff that would help people know, hey, kid gloves, baby. You know, this guy, he just despises authority a lot, but he's still your brother in Christ, and you need to make space for him. So the whole label thing creates a reality inside the church that is destructive to people. And it, it, it's a wicked thing to do to have to create a space for the gay Christian experience and culture and reality. You want me to know that you're a Christian tempted by gay sin? Hey, that's one thing. And the church had better have space for people to confess their sins, or it ha- it's not Jesus's church. But you want to make space for me to be cool with you parading around the label of gay Christian or some other ridiculous thing I'm making up right now? No, that's destructive, and that's not the same thing at all as confessing your sins. Okay, Ben, you've got your point. Fine, Mr. J. Sulcer. <laughs> <laughs> now Jake wishes Q. Sulcer was here. <laughs> if only Q. That's Sulcer okay. was here, I would have nailed him to the wall a long time ago. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. On paper and hypothetically, that sounds really, really great. But the fact is, we live in a culture where for worse, and I'll give you for worse, the identifying marker of people who are who are attracted to members of the same sex is a word that is also, by and large, ha- having any sense of shame removed from it. So what you then have are people who are confused, who are tempted, who have accepted and embraced the label, and they're just caught up. They're sheep, and they're sheep without a shepherd. And they're caught up in this movement, and they're caught up in their sins and their and their temptations, and they don't know how to talk about it in any other way with any other language but the language of the LGBTQ movement. That's what they've got. That's where they're coming from. And now they're coming to your church, and they're in process, and they 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 know it's it's wrong. They don't know what other label to use. They want help. So they're identifying as an act of faith as gay Christian. Now, for them, the act of faith isn't the label gay. It's the label Christian. That's the place where they're trying to to take a step in the right direction. Because they've already been told that their identity is gayness. They're part of this movement. They're part of this thing, whatever. And now they're saying, okay, this is who I am, but I also want to be a Christian and I want help. Now, are you going to set up a barrier at the door to these people who are in process who are so confused and coming from uh, such a far place from from Jesus that you're not going to allow them space, that kind of space, to use that that label as an act or step of faith as they move towards a more biblical understanding of things? So, you know, it's easy, easy if you don't have... Uh, to live with and among people who are attempted this way, to set up your perfect proper barriers, right? But if you're going to live in the dirt 
with people. So you've got to find places and ways to meet them halfway, and you've got to pick and choose your battles. A lot of what I keep hearing from you guys is that you're going to pick the battle of language first instead of the heart battles that these people are facing. And so you're going to meet them at the door with language. And that's just garbage. That's not helpful. That's not loving. Jesus was not concerned about labels. When the harlot came to him, he wasn't concerned about the label of harlot. He was concerned about that woman's soul. All I think I'm really bottom line arguing for is that there be concern for the person's soul and let's not meet them at the door and insisting on same-sex attraction or sodomy or whatever it is. Oh, Jake, um, okay, do you rest your case? Yeah, I rest my case. All right, well, let's do as we do on this fine program, and we'll go to a little break. We'll come back. We will address the devil's case. Sound good, Ben? Ah, it sounds good to me. All right, folks, we'll be right back after this. Jake! Good news! Benjamin Q. Sulcer is here. Nathan, bad news. My blood pressure medicine is not. <laughs> Jake, he's, he's got another book to pitch to us. Yeah, that's right, guys. My new book is called Born to be Awesome, Life as a Vainglorious Self-Promoter. Oh, so it's the Benjamin Q. Sulcer story. Yeah, but it's also a guide for others who want to be like yours truly. This book, as I understand it, grew out of a personal incident from your life, didn't it? It did, Nathan. It was kind of triggered. In fact, I'd call it a personal trauma. Although it was a constructive personal trauma for me. I wish your appearances on our show could be uh, as constructive. It was just one of life's little tragedies, as Ray Stevens used to sing. I went into a coffee shop. I saw a cute girl. I asked her out. Cute girls, they see me. Usually they're like... Is that guy going to ask me out? I sure hope so. And I think this girl was no different, but uh, she didn't really let on. She was playing a little hard to catch. So I, I didn't get a date. That wouldn't have bothered me. I mean, I, I get more dates than I know what to do with anyway. But a friend of hers later told me, hey, that girl isn't into vainglorious self-promoters. He meant me. I got to admit, my pride was a little bit dented. And then I realized something. Vainglorious self-promoter is just who I am. And there's a lot of good stuff that comes with it, too. Being a vainglorious self-promoter, generally most people would consider that to be a bad thing. It is highly stigmatized by our society, Nathan. But really, when you when you look into it, vainglorious self-promotion is an inborn tendency that comes with hormonal patterns. It's not something I can change. So let me get this straight. You're saying that you have something of a genetic predisposition. Right. You were born this way. Yes, I was born this way. Hence the title of my book. New research shows there are genetic markers for what I have. And it's just stuff I can't control. I didn't choose it. You know, it's just kind of who I am. That must be very difficult for you. Have you always struggled with this? I think that little baby Benjamin Q. Sulcer, lying innocently in his bassinet, was being tossed to and fro by storms of pride and ambition. Can you give us an example of where your vainglorious self-promotion has paid off for you? Nathan, <laughs> the answer is sitting with you in this studio right now. How would I have gotten to this level of excellence podcasting with you guys, writing these books, if I weren't a VGSP? You know what I mean? So about so- your research, is there a cure? Is there an injection you can take? <laughs> Some pills? Because well, well, Warhorn Media would totally get behind. Is there like a research oh, center wow. for curing this? You guys, you guys... We, we'd be happy to make a generous donation. I've, I've said it... In fact... 
I'd be willing to make a donation out of my own pocket. Oh, Jake. Take wow. out a second mortgage. Wow. Even. But yeah, I, I've looked into a lot of things. I think there's certainly a lot of people talking me and like grabbing me and shaking me. <laughs> but it doesn't change me, you know? <laughs> I'm still who I am today. If I ever cross the line with you like, guys. Like uh, the line back to normalcy? Right. <laughs> like that, that's good. I Yeah, just feel free to let me know. It's clear that you've done a lot of research and that you've done for your book. Can right, you give us right. an example of some of this this research? <laughs> it's okay. Nathan, you don't have to use air quotes when you when you say research. Yeah, I've done a lot of research. You know, I mean, what I found, again, is you just start looking into history. You find boatloads of men and women who are closet, <laughs> really, not so closet, VGSPers. That's, that's fascinating, isn't it, Jake? Uh, who are who are some of these people, these these people through history that have well, been uh, VGSP? I mean, Julius Caesar? <laughs> I mean, come on, that guy. Nefertiti? Alexander the Great? Napoleon? Let me just make sure I'm understanding Donald this. Donald Trump? Pre- you're, you're, and, and you would put yourself in that great lineage. <laughs> Let's just say we'll let history decide exactly where I belong. Well, th- there you go, Jake. Ben's just like Napoleon. What do you what do you think about that? Uh, can we banish him to an island? <laughs> Hold your horses, Wellington. You'll have to defeat me first. Man, so helpful. Thanks, break ad thing. We salute you, break ad thing. Now we're going to address the devil's points. So my question for you fellas is, do you want to give the devil anything? Sure. Yeah, I give the devil... um, Let's recap. The devil said his basic point was what? Uh, He started out trying to say the label gay Christian is okay because it's just people identifying with their weaknesses and vulnerabilities, and it's good for Christians to do that. Then me and Ben girded the old loins and said... girded your loins and said garbage, and the devil backed down a little bit. But then what he ended up arguing is, okay, but when you're dealing with real people... Let's deal with their hearts and not and wherever they're coming from, and accept that people are in process and are confused. Let's leave language to to something way down the line and chill out on attacking the phrase "gay Christian." We want to give them that. I think when we're talking about dealing with real people in our churches, then yeah, I think we want to give him that for the well, most part. Kind of, kind of the same way. Begins, that- Sorry. Oh, I was, it's kind of the same way. Nine times out of ten, someone comes to you and says, I'm an alcoholic. You're not, as a pastor, going to be like, that's a clinical term. And actually, mm-hmm. we're talking about the sin of drunkenness, sir. Right. You, there Which might you... be a person whose pride needs to be broken or something. You might actually say that, but it probably wouldn't be your go-to Yeah, thing. well, it, it just depends on the person and where they're coming sure, from sure. and helping them understand that we're talking about a sin issue and not a clinical issue here with alcohol. The same thing's true with coming uh, as a gay Christian or whatever to church. You're gauging the person and you're seeing where they're coming from and you're seeing where they're at and the degree to which they are attaching shame, a sense of shame and, and guilt to what it means to be a gay Christian. And you you take them from where they're from and you start working with them. There's no sort of perfect formula for this mm-hmm. sort of work with people. But the fact is, it's not just the culture at large that is trying to remove the sense of shame from the word gay or LGBTQ. It's Christians. Christians who are trying to make space for people to 
to accept every aspect of what it means to be culturally gay, to accept effeminacy and butchness as just a normal, ordinary sort of thing that should be adopted. And as as we brought up again, that whole idea from the Revoice Conference of you know what queer treasure, what queer treasure will come will be brought into queer the New culture Jerusalem. treasure. That's yeah. an almost direct quote. <clears throat> There's this whole gay Christian movement in reformed evangelical churches that's all about removing the sense of shame from being gay and only addressing gayness on the most superficial level, the level of the level of copulation. And the, that's not biblical. It's not helpful. It's destructive. And so that language has to be torn down. It was disingenuous right. of your devil to not let us and to not give us our point when we kept doing conferences. And then you were like, ah, leave me alone with the conferences. It's like, well, these conferences are happening. You know, I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is these are the public forums. These people need to be held accountable for what language they use. I mean, doesn't that's it right. Matter? And so yeah, as yeah. the devil, I was deliberately trying to to confuse context. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Right. On the one hand, you have the context of Christians out there promoting their gayness and making it cool and making it okay and making it safe for you to be as as queer as you want to be and not have to move into understanding what it means to be a man, what it means to be manly, or what it means to be a woman, to be womanly, to be feminine, to really embrace the sex that God gave you and to confess that in your life versus dealing with somebody who's shown up on the doorstep of your church or come to a service on Sunday morning and they're confused, but they want help. Uh, this is two very categorically different yeah. different things. And mm. I, I, I was trying to muddle that up because that's what people do. And, and meanwhile, they, they also ignore the fact that there's no, like, re-fermentation conferences happening for Christians who want to be public alcoholic Christians. Like, that's actually not happening. Well, the devil since time immemorial has, I mean, it is the classic devil move. Has God really said, thou may, may not eat of any tree in the garden? I mean, right. he's always trying to confuse categories and right. make things sound a lot bigger and make God's rules sound a lot more oppressive than they actually mm-hmm. are. And the, the big way he does that is by just putting it all together. And it's like, no, we're actually saying no to this one thing. And, we're, you know, of course, if someone comes to us, we're going to be sensitive. We're going to be sensible. We're not morons. We're not Fred Phelps. But, you know, you can't just lump it all together like that. Yeah. Mm, in, in, in our own church, we've talked about this sort of thing, even with bathroom policies, where we know that we have or are going to have people coming in who are transgender. We want to have a certain degree of flexibility with people who come in and who are confused and rebelling against God in ways maybe they don't even know that they're rebelling against God. And we want to meet people where they are and deal with them on a case-by-case pastoral basis. That's very different than coming at shepherds and professors of certain seminaries mm-hmm. <laughs> who are actively promoting this sort of wicked confusion. And so when it comes to the label gay Christian as it is properly meant, it needs to die. And it is on the level of pedophilic Christian or or adulterous Christian or whatever else. Or drunken Christian. Yeah, that would right. be a much better analogy than alcoholic for what you're actually communicating <laughs> to the culture. That's right. Celebrating my drunkenness, mm-hmm. right? I think it's worth saying here, this is a little bit of a side trail, but alcohol is actually not an evil thing to desire in a right context. If you have a sexual desire for someone of the same sex, it's automatically evil. Yet another way in which they are not analogous. They're not analogous. Okay, so here's where I think the devil actually made me feel the most tension because the devil wants to ask, okay, what's the term? And he wants to nail you down. Now, having said that we're going to use a lot of grace and wisdom as we actually talk to real people, I think it's still a question that we can't not answer if we're being honest. 
what terminology do we actually use? Because I think I think almost everything is bad and wrong-headed at best, wicked at worst about the gay Christian movement. But they do have a point when they say, we want this sin to just be another sin. Now, if, if what they mean is we don't want there to be shame attached to it, that's bad. And often I'm afraid that is exactly what they mean. But if they mean greed's a sin, that you confess that your pastor helps you, murder's a sin, you know, we, we are all sinners. We are all saved by Christ's grace. So, so, they, so they make that point. I see what they're saying. And then with that in mind, you have to decide what term you're actually going to use. And what do you do? How do you think about that? If the question is just making it safe for people to confess their sins, then I'm 100% on board. But like, like you said, it's often really just about removing any sense of shame from the sins or temptations themselves. And it's a shell game because if you call them on that, then they'll say, no, we're just trying to make it safe for people. As if you shouldn't feel shame about greed, as if you shouldn't feel shame about drunkenness drunkenness as if you shouldn't feel shame about anything because we're all in Christ. In Christ mm-hmm. I mean, here's an idea. If you go to your pastor to confess that you looked at pornography, you're going to feel really, really, really bad. You're not going to want to do it. It's going to be not a good day in your life. Now, God may prove his grace and his faithfulness through that trial, through that discipline, but it's not a happy thing to have to do. Yeah. So here's the thing. Shame is is like the, it's like pain sensors, right? Like it, it alerts us that something is wrong here. And the, the, goal is not to remove any sense of shame. It's to bring our guilt and shame to Jesus. I mean, the fact is we're talking about a very, very shameful sort of sin. The way we make it safe for people to talk about it is by being a church full of sinners where everybody knows that they're a sinner and by allowing shame to do its work and drive us to the cross. What we don't do is minimize that sense of shame. We actually heighten it. So given that we're talking terminology, then the million dollar question that I think maybe some of our listeners may already be ahead of us is, do you use the word sodomy? Because yeah. that's the shameful one. That's the word that we don't want to use. Is that is that is that what your argument where where the argument basically leads us is that the word that we should be using I is think, sodomy and sodomite? Yes. I think that is where it leads. Because what we're doing and what we're trying to do is we're we're trying to drive people to Jesus, not to make peace with their sin. If I'm going to preach on greed, mm-hmm. which is like the common, let's, you know, everybody seems to think greed is like, okay. Right. Right. That's like gluttony or something. Like gluttony. Yeah. Or, oh, it's okay because everybody's going, oh, greed's yeah. okay because everybody. It's not. Right. It's not. If I'm going to preach on greed, my goal is to make it painful, right? And for people to see and be convicted of the fact that they are greedy and that that is an affront, an offense before a holy God that will condemn them if they don't repent of that sin. My goal in dealing with greed is not to say, oh yeah, we're all greedy. Oh yeah, we're all sinners in some hypothetical way, right? Oh yeah, we're all prideful. No, it's to nail you to the wall, nail your greed to the wall and make it painful so that you have nowhere left to turn but to Jesus. Well, we have to do the same thing when it comes to homosexuality. Well, then I have two questions for you. Number one, what's wrong with Fred Phelps and God hates fags? Number two, I'd have to check. I don't know that we actually used the word sodomy in the other episode that the devil was referring to. Why didn't we do that? Maybe we did use it once or twice in some context, but we certainly didn't make a point of using it. Yeah, okay, a couple things. The difference with Fred Phelps is that Fred Phelps... Fred Phelps is a cultural touchstone for the kind of person that just wants to make it into something completely hideous. So the difference with Fred, Fred Phelps is that Fred Phelps... His goal isn't to actually love people. His goal is not to see people transformed. His goal is to feel the rush 
the cathartic rush of feeling right and feeling Rubbing like his superiority in those hellbound people's noses. He's not willing to get in the dirt with anybody and work through their sin. So why, if we didn't use the word sodomy or whatever in the other episode, why not? Well, that's because we agree with some of the arguments the devil was making, ultimately, that we're, we're both trying to bring back a sense of shame and to see the grace of shame. And we're also trying to meet people where they are. That doesn't mean that we have to discipline ourselves to use the most shocking terminology all the time. But we do want to bring that sense of shame Mm -hmm. back to homosexuality, to sodomy. Uh, Where there's no shame, there's no sense of guilt. That's just, they they correlate. You try to remove a sense of shame, that's like, that's saying you're trying to remove a sense of guilt. Mm -hmm. Shame is just the pain of guilt. Our preaching and our speaking about any kind of sin is meant to drive us to despair, to drive us to the end of ourselves, because it's so clear that we have sinned against the holy God, and we have nothing. We are dirty, we are defiled, we are corrupted, and we need to be forgiven, washed, and cleansed. Shame is something that should be removed, not by denying its existence, not by talking it out of ex- or defining it out of existence, but by bringing it to Jesus to be washed and cleansed from. Amen. So I guess that basically sums it up, guys. Ooh, Benjamin J. Solzer, when did he leave? And and Benjamin, hey guys, when did Benjamin <laughs> Q. Solzer take his place? I, I saw him step out, and I thought, you know what, this is my chance. And wait, what, what can I say? Self-promoting tendencies. Speaking of which, <sighs> did you guys get a chance to page through my book? Maybe when you were like bored with each other talking, you were like, I'm gonna look at a book or something. While I saw Nathan a couple of talking. pages as they uh, went up in ash. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, my book is on fire, baby. <laughs> That's what you're trying yeah, to say, Jake right? Actually, was burning your book in oh. the, which Jake really can't help himself. So, <laughs> well, if you could you maybe can't give him the books when he's outside or just not in the same room. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? If it were winter, I'd feel better. But th- that's what I like about my books. They're so versatile. If you don't want to read them, you can burn them. They're still going to be useful as long as you buy them. You know, you know what I'm saying? Oh boy. All right, that's great. Yeah. Sound of Sanity Today was engineered by Benjamin Solzer, produced by Nathan Alberson, executive produced by Jacob Munsell and Nathan Alberson. Until next time, stay sane.